0: My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and I'm overjoyed to be standing before you. I have a couple things I want to share with you. I want to talk to uh, you about two news stories that was in the news these past few weeks. I want to speak to a couple stories in the scripture that we're going to turn to in a few moments. And my hope in all of this is to speak, let the Lord speak to our, our heads and our hearts, That the Lord might inform how we think about some things and then use our hearts as sort of the engine or the the motivation center of our lives to then maybe even change or correct some of our actions towards other people. And I make mention of all of this with Terry and all of you this morning about the church because the church is a, a much loved thing by Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus would call the church his bride. And I think God has a lot to say to his bride, the church, that she might become mature, kind, compassionate, and loving, truth seeking, Jesus following, all of those things. And I think the Lord wants to speak to some of those things today, speaking again to our minds and I hope informing. Our hearts as well. So I want to pray. I'm winding down. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. I echo Ali's prayer that your love would fill this room, it would fill our community, and would fill this world, God. Jesus Christ, your Son, is the picture, the icon, the image of that love. And may we learn to walk as Jesus did. May we say the things that he said. May we act towards others the way he acted. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we ask that you be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm asking the Lord to encounter us today. Um, To do so, I'm going to have to just startle us by telling you the the news story, the first of the two that I want to share with you um, this morning. This first news story involves a woman named Beth Moore. Not I mean, if you know who Beth Moore is. You don't have to. It's like you're not less of a Christian if you don't, and that's fine. Uh, Beth Moore is a, a woman who lives in Houston, Texas with her hu- husband. Um, she's a Christian author and a leader. Um, she has written books. Most of the books are, are devotional books, uh, Bible study books, typically directed towards women. Um, and She leads a lot of women's Bible studies and curriculum. Um, she's filled arenas when she goes to speak, like thousands and thousands of people will come hear her teach um, things from the Bible. She's part of a a denomination or was, this is what the news story is about. She's part of a denomination called the Southern Baptist Convention. The SBC is what we'll call it. Um, And what made the news this last couple weeks ago was that Beth Moore has decided after decades of being an SBC member, going to an SBC church to be led by SBC pastors, she has decided to leave her denomination. Now, some might argue that she's leaving because um, there's an ideological or maybe even theological shift within the denomination. And I'll get to that in a moment. But I think there's another purpose as to why she's leaving. So I I need to give you a little backstory on who Beth Moore is. Beth Moore was saved in an SBC church. She was saved in a Southern Baptist church. She devoted her life to the Southern Baptist movement. She's a champion for the Southern Baptist missional movement. They do a lot of things missionally. They send evangelists and missionaries all across the globe. She loved all that. And inside the SBC church, there's a sort of um, debate, if you will, that women cannot hold the title of pastor or preacher. So even though she was a much renowned teacher, she fought or found herself in much criticism in the denomination because of her willingness to teach other people. Now, a lot of the people in the church, the SBC denomination, were totally fine with her teaching if she was teaching women only. But whenever men started to listen to her teach, they took an issue with that. And she seemed to be fine with all of that. She seemed to live happily inside of the SBC tent for decades, if you will. But three weeks ago, two weeks ago, she, she, she left the Southern Baptist Convention. And I don't think it's just because of an ideological or theological shift. I think there is something else at work. In fact, a, a man named David French, he's a columnist. He writes for Time Magazine, and he's the editor-in-chief of a conservative blog called The Dispatch. But he says that there's something else at work here. And he, he thinks that there's something being left off the table when we discuss the leaving of Beth Moore from her denomination. It's this, is that the people in her denomination... We're actually living in a way that is, uh, his words, I'm looking for the words here on my notes here, (laughs) Uh, dispositional, and I'll define these, and temperamental. He's saying that the disposition of the men in her denomination was antagonistic towards her, and they're temperamental that they were actually volatile and cruel towards her. Now, I say these words because David French is not some liberal, he's not a progressive, he's a conservative evangelical, much like many of us in the room. And he says these things because what he thinks is happening is that the men in her denomination, and maybe even across all of evangelical conservatism, um, are beginning to treat women differently. Are beginning to think about women differently differently. And after some time of Beth Moore being treated cruelly, she decided to leave. Now, she was totally fine in her denomination until about 2017, 18, 19, um, abuse scandals, sexual misconduct scandals broke the SBC. The Houston Chronicle reported over 380 leaders and volunteers in the SBC had allegations of sexual misconduct brought to them. At the same time, over 700 people, victims in the SBC, had been abused over 20 years in her denomination. And being a survivor of abuse herself, she could no longer stay silent. So she began to question this in the movement. And in that moment, she no longer was the darling woman of the SBC movement. She became a pariah to them. Very prominent pastor named John MacArthur. Not at me if you know who he is. John MacArthur is a prominent pastor in California, SBC leader for sure, was asked at one point to give a a response to uh, Beth Moore. He said, give me a a one-word response sort of of who you think Beth Moore is or something. It's controversial. He does this every year, whatever. And he said, what do you think about Beth Moore? And his response was, go home. Let me finish his sentence. (laughs) I'll take some license here, so don't send me the emails. And make me a sandwich. Or something. David French argues that there's an apostasy of cruelty that's taking place in the Southern Baptist Convention, maybe in evangelicalism altogether. It just means this, that the people are drifting away further and further from God, not because of idolatry, not because of something else, but because they're just too cruel towards one another. So I want, I want to do some work here. I, w- I want to look at... I think a misinformation, a misunderstanding that many people, I got to back up a little bit. I'm not dogging the SBC. I want you to know I listen to podcasts all the time. Um, Most of my favorite preachers are SBC preachers. (laughs) I love them. I've learned so much from John MacArthur. I've learned so much from so many other people. My issue at work is how the church is interacting with one another, particularly women in this story. So to to now turn to the Bible I want to open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. This is the actually first two pages in your Bible. This is the creation story. I use the word story intentionally not because I think the story is made up or make believe I don't I believe it to be true but because it's it, it looks like all other stories in fact I think the whole bible is one big story it has an author it has characters and it has a plot line that we're following and the plot line looks something like this if you're new to the faith it looks like this that god created the world and everything that's in it and it was good say amen yay amen yes but then sin happened boo right sin happened and now the world is fractured and broken and god sets apart to res- or sets a plan in motion to restore all of the goodness Back to his original creation, and he's doing all of that through his son Jesus. Yay! And he does that by die, sending his son to die on a cross. Boo! Right? For all of those things. And God is the story, the meta story of the Bible is God has created something good, it's been broken, and he's restoring it. And he's doing it through his son Jesus, who is a king. Say amen. amen. He's a king, and it's his kingdom that he's establishing. And we look to the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, and we see how God created mankind, men and women. Let me read these words to you from chapter 1, verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I ran across a commentator recently who exchanged some words in that Um, verse, not to change the meaning, but to lay emphasis to it. And I want to read it how this commentator uh, wrote that same passage. He says, so God created the Adam, like Adam and Eve, right? God created the Adam in his own image, in the image he created him, male and female. So in this dust creature, this mud person that God fashions from the dirt of the ground and breathes his spirit into exists the image of God, the icon of God, what God looks like is found in humanity, In this person thing, the Adam, but it wasn't long after God created everything, he realized that the Adam was alone. And so he created for the Adam a helper. Flip the page to chapter two, verse 18. It says, the Lord God then said, it is not good that the man should be alone, so I will make a helper fit for him. So God does this cool thing. He splits the Adam, ha ha, the pun intended. He he splits the Adam. Yes, he puts him to sleep somehow, mysteriously, we don't know, it's whatever, and he pulls, the Bible says, a rib, Eh, I don't know, he pulls something out of Adam, fashions woman from it, out of the same essence that Adam is, right? A piece of Adam is all he needs to make the woman, and he fashions the woman, and then brings the woman Eve back to Adam, almost in this moment of matrimony, and we won't go there today. But he brings them back together. And when Adam sees Eve, he has these words to say in chapter, 20, chapter 2, verse 23. The man then said, I'll read this just a second, um, half of this verse, that she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She is the same as me, but different as me. She's made of the same thing as me, but just different than me. Now, I think, to go back to the SBC story just for a moment, I think what's happening is a lot of people are misinformed on the view of who women are, that they don't see them as co-image bearers of God, as men are. Somehow, they see it differently. And I think they do so. If we could go back to verse 18, just to park here for a moment, in chapter 2, verse 18, it says that God is going to make a helper fit or suitable for Adam. I think we get tripped up on that word helper. See, sometimes we see that, like God is somehow making um, an assistant for man. Like a magician's assistant, if you will, that only comes out every now and again to bring something and then to disappear behind the curtain again. Did you know this? That the same word, the Hebrew word that's translated helper in that verse is translated many other times in the Old Testament. And it oftentimes speaks of God. And oftentimes speaks of military help when God's people find themselves in trouble. It speaks of God's actions towards his people. May I just say this to you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that do not think that this is a word of inferiority or weakness because there's no way the author would have used it to describe God. That women are image bearers of God, just like men are. I don't think that's going to be a hard sell for this church, because I know many of you already agree with me. In fact, Foursquare is the denomination that Renaissance is attached to. right? Our denomination was started by women. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> right? Talk about empowered women. Yes, we believe in women pastors and women preachers. We're down with all of that. But the the point I'm driving towards is if we get a misunderstanding in our head of what the role women should be, you can almost see how misogyny would take root in a church or in a denomination or in an evangelical movement, so to speak. So I want to unpack some of that for us and and just consider for a moment what happens when we don't view women as co-image bearers of God. What happens when women are viewed less than and smaller than men? It brings us to the second story that I saw on the news these past few weeks. I think it was Thursday of last week, a gunman went into some massage parlors in Atlanta and killed eight people, six of them women. This man, it has come out, um, attends an SBC church. I'm not blasting SBC, I'm not saying, but I just want you to see that he has come underneath the teachings of some of that, and he has this view that women, he has said, He had a sexual addiction, and he needed to take care of the the temptation that was before him. And so to him, women were just a temptation that just needed to be eradicated. Rather than address the sin through forgiveness in Jesus Christ and, and all of that, he decided to just push them aside like the nothings that they were. So I don't want to get into all of this stuff. I'm just saying this is what it looks like sometimes when we have a wrong view of of women who are co-image bearers. Now, I also want to say this with full disclosure that not everyone who has a view of women to be subordinate to men go around shooting people, (laughs) right? They don't. I'm not saying that. But I think if we start with our head and understand that women are, again, image bearers of God as well, that we can have a different opinion of them. So not everyone who has a a view of women who are subordinate to men are abusive to women. I know that. And I know that, that, that the, the difficulties that we have in the church sometimes with conflict isn't always between men and women. And oftentimes, the difficulties and the conflicts that we have in church is, is ideological, sometimes theological, sometimes doctrinal, but sometimes it's just we have different opinions about things. I've never seen this more clear until last year, right, after um, the, the terrible story of of um, George Floyd and the the social justice that was happening there. Um, The issues of COVID and masks or not masks. Should churches meet or not meet and then throw in an election year? What was God thinking in 2020? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Look, I did not sign up for 2020 when I signed up to be a pastor, right? Should I, I should, looking back, I should have taken a year off. I'm just saying. But there's so much conflict arising. And I said this last year, not to say that I was prophetic in it or anything, but I, I began to see this and understand it for what it was. We don't know how to love each other well. That We can't seem to disagree in things of political persuasion or ideology and a bunch of other things and whether a person should eat this or not eat this or act this way or, or fast this way or not. I mean, who knows all the differences we have in opinions. We just seem to couldn't, we couldn't get along with one another. And this is not uncommon to just our world, but it happened even in the New Testament time. So I want to turn now to a story in Romans chapter 14 and 15 that the Apostle Paul is addressing. Little backstory I'm running out of time, so I'm running through this stuff. The Apostle Paul is writing to some Christians in, in Rome, and there's an issue in the church, and there's two factions or group within the church. In his letter, he calls them the weak. And the strong. And there's a big story behind both of them, but just know this they had differences of opinion on foods that can be eaten and couldn't be eaten, and days of worship. So the weak were historically Jewish people who thought that you had to act a certain way, still adhere to the kosher dietary laws that God had given his people back in the Old Testament, and obey the Sabbath, the holy day on a certain day. And then the the strong people are are the the Gentile believers who come out of a pagan background, who are used to worshiping other idols, who, who don't have a regard for what's a holy day or have any regard for kosher dietary laws. And these two people are coming together in Christ Jesus, in the church, and they don't get along. Can you see that at least, how that could happen? And not only are they not getting along, they're judging one another because of it. And they're saying slanderous things towards one another. So Paul hears of this and sends them this letter. And I want to read two parts out of 14 and out of 15. Verses 1 through 7 or 6 of verse chapter 14. Read this. He says, as for the one who was weak in faith, welcome him, he says. And Don't quarrel over opinions. Oh my gosh, put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Hashtag don't quarrel. One person believes he may eat anything he wants, while the other person, the weak person, believes only vegetables. Again, this has a lot to do with kosher things. It's not vegetarian. I mean, if you want to be vegetarian, whatever. So, I'm looking at you, Todd and Jennifer. So, anyways, he says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him into the family, basically. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he'll be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other while another esteems all days the same. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I love that. Paul's like, make up your mind. Like it doesn't matter. The issue at hand is, is the relationship amongst each other in regards to differing opinions. I wanna fast forward to, Chapter 15 now, and now look what Paul says in, chapter, in verse 1. He says, we who are strong, okay, I just love this for a moment. Paul, like, gets in the strong camp. He says, this is my people, okay? He says, I'm one of the strong people, which is interesting because he's Jewish. You'd think he'd be with the weak people. Doesn't matter. Just say, Just notice this, that he's in the strong camp, but he never once in his whole letter does he say that his camp is right. He never once says, we've got it figured out, and them dummies don't. He just says, this is the camp I live in, and this is what I believe. He doesn't disparagingly talk about anyone else. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. He is submitting himself to others. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Get along with one another. So what if you have an opinion on something? Christ did not please himself, he said, but it is as it is written that the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might or may have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it sums up here in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. A few chapters before, Paul makes this strong theological claim that I think oftentimes is used somewhat incorrectly. Chapter 10, verse 13 says this. This is a very famous verse. It says this. Where did I go? I lost it. Sorry. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've heard that verse, nod at me. Yep. For everyone who calls. That's right. And most times we're taking this verse to talk about salvation or what we call soteriology, that this is a soteriological passage. It's about salvation. And I think that's true. For everyone who calls on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. But I think this passage has more to do with equality. Read it again when I say this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. And in fact, in view of the strong and the weak and the conflict that's happening inside the church at Rome, you can now see that verse being read that way as just a reminder to all of them. Listen, y'all. <laughs> I don't care your political, political persuasion. I don't care your opinion on fasting or not fasting. I don't care any of those things. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ is saved. And you guys got to figure it out. My favorite thing of being a pastor it's to stand up here and say, I don't know things. I don't know. What do you think about this? What about sex before marriage? Huh? <laughs> like I, I have opinions about stuff, but I, I, here's, here's, I have strong opinions about a lot of stuff. But I'm always careful to stand in this place and to tell you what it is. <laughs> I think I do know what it is in regards to Jesus and some other things that we might call essentials. But maybe in the issues of non-essentials, like what political party you should be attached to. Maybe uh, non-essentials as should should you Sabbath on Saturday or Sunday. You know, there's a big divide in the church about some of that stuff. There's a divide over women in ministry. There's a divide over a bunch of stuff. But I don't stand in a place here and say, this is what it means. All I'm saying is this. I follow Jesus Christ, and I try to get along with everyone that I can. If I could pastor a church where we could... Experience that, that'd be great. And just in a a moment of pastoral clarity for all of you, I intentionally do not follow any of you on Facebook. You're welcome. (laughs) And do you know why? Because I would have a line out my door for counseling every week (laughs) to rebuke and correct so many of you. I, I think you are right to have opinions about stuff. Please voice them. Educate others by all means. Just don't lose charity. Just don't lose kindness. All of Christianity, I don't think, should be based on what we do and what we don't do. In fact, I would pray to the Lord God in heaven, right? in Jesus Christ, in his name, I would say this. God, I don't want to be known for the things that I don't do. I don't want to be known for the things that I do do. <laughs> that was fun. I want to be known for loving one another. In fact, Paul, sorry, Jesus, he's better than Paul, just so you know. Jesus <laughs> yeah, is really true. He has this, this moment where he's speaking to the disciples and he gives them a new commandment. John uh, John the Re- uh, Revelator, yes, writes this in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And I'll close with these words. He says, a new commandment, Jesus speaking now to his disciples that I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then he says this, and by this, all the people, who do you think are all the people? I think it's the world. I think it's the culture around us. I think it's Um, your friends who aren't Christian on Facebook. I think it's your family who come around every holiday, right? That you kind of tolerate, but don't really get along with. (laughs) I think it's all of those people is encapsulated in that verse. By this, all the people will know that you're my disciples. Basically, they'll know you belong to me. You follow me, right? If you have love for one another. When I, when I read the story of Beth Moore leaving her denomination, I weep, not because I think I'm right in my theology and they're wrong. I, it has nothing to do with that. I think we've allowed cruelty and malice to reign too long in the church. It happens in the world. We expect it in the world, guys, but stop acting like the world. We have no, we have no right to that. A few moments ago, you were singing words that said something like this. This is, I don't even know the words. I'm a terrible rememberer, but. Um, <laughs> uh, this is where I lay it down. This is my surrender. So much of our Christian walk is the surrender of our own rights for the sake of other people. Paul writes that this um, Again, all through the New Testament, to the church in Corinth, he's telling them to stop acting a fool. To the church in Rome, get along with one another. Ultimately, that's the picture that the world is going to see of Christ's followers. And if there's a bunch of infighting and arguing amongst one another and just, I would say, sinful behavior towards one another, I don't think we're exemplifying Jesus Christ. That's all I say. pastor that I follow on Twitter um, last night tweeted this. He's, he's preaching in uh, the Bronx probably right now as we speak. He said, uh, more and more since I've been pastoring and I bring a message every Sunday, um, I always pray, Lord, help me to bring a message of hope to people. And so just, it just resonated with me. So of everything that I said today, I don't know where the hope is in any of that. I don't know where it is. Maybe there's hope for us that that we can begin to view other people in the church with different opinions as co-image bearers with us and that we actually don't see them as less than us and we might treat them as equals even though they differ in opinion. Maybe maybe there's hope for for some of the women here in the church that maybe heard that, that renaissance is a safe place for you in ministry and leadership. Oh, yeah. We are. I mean that seriously. This is not just patronizing a, a particular group of people. I mean that seriously. I've, I've learned some of the, the greatest things from women, for sure. I even married one. <laughs> God, God thought that a good idea for me, that I might marry one. In 25 years, she's um, put up with me. Um, I oftentimes tell her, who told you to be the Holy Spirit in my life? That women have so much to say. So maybe there's hope in that. Maybe there's hope in just this fact that, that, um, that you have built a pedestal in your life and that with the, the keyboard on, at your computer, you just go around smashing people who have wrong ideas, wrong opinions, wrong this and that. Maybe there's hope that the Lord would just lovingly come alongside you and go, yeah, Maybe. you know, you're probably wrong too on some stuff so Amen I, uh, uh, that's my favorite part of what I do is just sitting here, letting the Lord speak. Um, Was that nerve wracking for you guys? (laughs) Too bad. (laughs) I love it. Here's what I think the Lord um, would say to us is he, he would say to some of you, not maybe not all of you, but I know that there are people in the room who need to hear these words. That The Lord sees you. That he sees you, he he knows how difficult it is, and it has been hard, right? But he sees you. God, I pray that we be a church that see one another for who they are. That you don't see distinction, but you see people who have become righteous in the work of your son, Jesus who has given his life as a ransom for us, that we might be redeemed, restored, fully adopted back into the family of God, that you see us as righteous through Jesus Christ. God, give us the eyes to see people the same way. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be and is saved. If you choose them, Lord, make us to be people to choose them as well. Help us to welcome one another, to act in Christian charity and kindness, and most importantly, make us people who love your bride well. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.